Welcome to this episode of Tech Lasso. I'm Christopher Hong, and I'm bringing back Donna Basic Tech Walters, and we're going to be talking about esports today. Donna, if you want to talk about yourself and share yourself and reintroduce yourself to the audience. Awesome. So yeah, my name is Donna Basic Tech Walters, just like Chris said, and I am super, super excited to be here today. I always love talking with you, Chris. I mean, it's just, we we have some great discussions. Um, but I am the founder and executive director of a nonprofit organization called College Esports. We actually service the K through 20 space is how I like to refer it. Um, but we support student success with career building opportunities through esports and video games. So some of the work that I've done in the past, I've worked with uh, lots of colleges, universities, um, professional esports teams, really, and um, and some civic leaders, some elected officials, uh, and just overall lots of teachers, administrators on supporting those students and uh, their career development. So I am, again, super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're back. I've always had fun with you. Enjoy you. And you're always vibrant and upbeat and positive. I absolutely, absolutely love it. And on top of that, I've actually also brought back Thomas Phelps, a teacher in Los Angeles County. He's been on other episodes. I think the most recent one he was on was the teacher and parent panel where they had discussion, just shared their thoughts on the process of ed tech in the classroom and how to better support each other from teachers helping parents and parents helping teachers help their kids. So welcome to, to to the podcast, Thomas. Did you want to share about yourself and talk about who you are and what you've done and what you think about esports? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, I'm a teacher in Southern California. I teach seventh grade English at Ross Middle School in Artesia. Uh, I also run our school's activities program. So I'm the ASB advisor. Um, you know, so esports right up our alley. We do have an esports club or a video game club at our school. Um, I also, uh, you know, happen to have been a professional athlete. So I, I have a unique uh, experience from my baseball background with with sports versus esports. Um, I was also, I'd like to say, a professional esports e player um, during COVID. Uh, during the lockdowns, uh, I joined an esports FIFA league. <clears throat> and actually represented the official Galaxy team uh, playing 11-11, uh, 11, 11, 11 versus 11 pro clubs versus San Jose uh, in like a live streamed friendly. And uh, we absolutely demolished the Smurfs from up north. Um, so I'll try not to let that bias play out too much, but uh, I was very happy to represent the Galaxy. And, um, you know, that experience was so fun. And so, um, yeah kind of multifaceted athlete, both digital and in the physical sphere, teacher, and uh, overly opinionated. Chris, you you really bring in just like the superstars to this group, don't you? I mean, wow, what an amazing guest. Thomas, right? I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I mean, the only flaw with him is he's a Galaxy fan, but that's besides <laughs> the point considering I'm a LAFC fan, but I still love him. I still think he's great. And I think the one thing that stood out to me, just listening to him talk is you did both professional sports and esports what is your take on the difference between the two i think it's a really nuanced it's really nuanced when you get into the differences because i think as electronics and video games enter the the zeitgeist more and more and more uh, it really is changing the landscape of how people interact and i remember when i was you know five six years old christmas morning i got a sega genesis and I was so excited. I popped in, uh, I want to say it was like Joe Montana football or whatever it was, not even Madden football, it's Joe Montana football. And I was so excited, but, um, you know, and then as that progressed, video games for me became such a, a social endeavor. I, I remember distinctly playing Nintendo 64 uh, with my friends and, you know, GoldenEye and, and Slaps Only and all of that fun stuff. And the WWF, um, WWE now, whatever it's called, um, like we really got into video games and I was part of that first generation that had console video games as part of my everyday life. You know, there was no real online gaming at that point. It was, I had to sit next to you. We had to, you know, have multiple controllers or multiple screens. Uh, I remember we, we were part of the first group that did landline gaming. Uh, where we would set up multiple TVs and connect them through landlines. And so, you know, really fun experience. But um, as I've seen as a teacher, um, you know, gaming is 
despite its benefits, it does have quite a few drawbacks um, and a lot of negative, uh, I'm not going to say negative, but potentially negative outcomes for kids uh, because of the way that it's designed. And um, so, you know, depending on where we want to go, I, I don't exactly know where we want to start with this. I'm, I'm curious to see just because my experience with actual esports was limited to just during COVID because once the world opened back up, I went back to playing real sports and stuff. Um, so I'm curious to see um, kind of Donna's perspective about esports and and maybe piggyback off anything I said, or, or if you want to take the conversation in a specific direction. I actually have a, a couple questions. So I love, I love your experience. And I, I think it's just super phenomenal that you really do, like Chris said, have a perspective from both areas from both worlds, right? Traditional sports and then your online version of, of sports, if you will, or video games. I know um, this is, our industry is really kind of new, if you will, right? And it and it's not so much brand new, but we're still kind of in its toddler phases is what I like to refer to it. So I think towards the very beginning, there's been a lot of debate on, you know, is esports a sport? Is it, you know, technically, is it a sport or not, right? And a lot of people have a lot of differing opinions. And so I think that might be a great place just to kind of start. I'd love to hear your perspective being a traditional athlete and also participating in the video game space. So what do you think? Do you think esports is is considered a sport or do you not think so? Yeah, that's where I think I draw a pretty firm line that esports is not a it shouldn't be considered sport because for me I think sports has an element of physical output. Um, while video games in and of themselves are difficult. I mean, I look at, you know, I had to stop playing Call of Duty games, one, because I became a father and didn't have time, uh, but two, because it just became so complicated and challenging and I, I just didn't want to keep up with it. And um, so it's not to say that video games aren't challenging. I see these kids play Fortnite and stuff and and they're amazing how uh, how their dexterity is and, their hand-eye coordination or hand-thumb coordination or whatever. Um, but for me, sports have a physical output. I think there's something to when your body is under extreme duress, having to be able to think about, you know, moment-by-moment decisions while you're exhausted and and physically going up against somebody else. I think that's what sport is. If we take it all the way back to Roman gladiators, it's, you know, me versus you, and there's one very clear winner. Um, and at the end, we'll be exhausted. I think that that gets, you know, kind of left behind from esports. And that's not to say there's not value there. Um, but I would kind of steer away from considering it a, a, a sport, like in a traditional sense. I can totally see that perspective. And, you know, I, I would agree with you on, on many elements. I know that there are, was some research that was kind of done to help, you know, either validate or invalidate that idea. One of the things that, you know, researchers had found was that um, when you're playing these competitive video games, right? I mean, I think we can all agree that video games or esports itself, they they can be competitive just like traditional sports. The difference though, I think is is exactly what you're talking about with the physical element. Are we, are we running, actually physically running? No, you know, are we, you know, jumping and climbing and is there, you know, physical strength involved? Not necessarily. However, what the research, what it's saying is that, you know, the heart palpitations are starting to increase when you're getting in these virtual spaces. And then that helps, you know, to um, increase the blood pressure. And then it's also, you know, really helping to create those maybe not externally seen changes, but inside the body, right? So I think that's maybe where some of the thought process was when people were saying, oh, esports is a sport. Well, I kind of tend to agree a little bit more with you. I don't think that esports and video gaming or competitive video gaming is necessarily um, equal to the physical elements of traditional sports. However, it does, again, still have that competitive environment. It does have some of those um, reactionary traits. Um, I know chess, I'm going to bring in chess because it's a very similar trajectory. That industry also had that, you know, debate. Is this a sport? Is it not a sport? Does it belong in the Olympics? Does it not belong in the Olympics? Right. And there's just been massive um, debate on that. So my proposal, I think that it's really just esports and chess really kind of have their own specific category that 
kind of aligns with traditional sports, but also doesn't. I don't know. But what are your thoughts? What are you what are your thoughts on that? I mean, for me, it's it's just a matter of semantics. If if it were just to be called competitive gaming, I think that essentially ends the debate for me. And it, that's not a bridge that I'm willing to die on, right? Or a hill that I'm willing to die on. The, the naming of what it is is not necessarily the end all be all for me. Um, you know, from my experience, um, so we'll go back to uh, March, whatever, 14th, 2020. <clears throat> um, my wife and I were in the middle of selling a house and buying a new one. And the whole, then the world ends. And all of a sudden, I'm not able to go outside and play sports or go to, you know, 24 hour fitness and play basketball like I was doing regularly. Um, or, you know, continue uh, uh, playing, you know, pickleball and stuff. Um, the world shut down. And so uh, I was part of a FIFA league through, uh, it started off as just a, like a regular FIFA league. It was, we called it Liga G. Um, or it was the, I think originally it was the riot squad FIFA league and we would be randomly assigned a team and you would play that team through a league and then in through playoffs and it was really fun and it was really competitive and it was all galaxy fans playing against each other. So, um, on that, in that aspect, it was a community of people coming together that we knew each other in real life and we're playing together online. Um, and it was really fun. And then when COVID happened, my friend Scott, uh, who, who was in the league as well. He was a big pro clubs fan. And, and for those of you who are listening, who don't know what pro clubs are on FIFA, it's 11 v 11. You control one player. That's it. And uh, you play versus another team of 11 players. And so he started a, a Wednesday night pickup league. So anyone who wanted to play, he would have signups on Twitter and, you know, we'd work it out and then we would just have fun games. And that kind of progressed as COVID went on and the lockdown went on into uh an actual league league of g96 and that first year we had 10 teams compete and it was remarkable we had practices scheduled on the calendar every you know other day we had league games on wednesday nights and sunday nights we would everyone would live stream and record so that way there was you know proof of everything that happened and we kept stats and it was a really really big deal and we took it very seriously um so much so that the the galaxy had us uh and they the galaxy live streamed for us as we played the san jose earthquakes team and you know full disclosure i was the goalkeeper on my team so i didn't do a whole lot because my team was so good um but i did have some big moments and i can't i can't accurately express how proud i was to win those games and so i do also get that that shared feeling of joy and and how it does connect to sports um so i do think there is a good space for esports out there um and i share that firsthand i think going back to the name you know yeah is it maybe a traditional sport no uh but if we're just doing it if we're looking at it from a branding aspect esports sounds a lot cleaner than saying competitive gaming I, I love that. And I, I agree with you hundred percent. You know, it's um, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the communication, you know, the plays and um, what, what we do, you know, I always like to, you know, kind of go back and, and liken sports with, with esports, right? So like you have your sports bubble, the overarching title, you have your esports bubble, the overarching title, and then within sports, you have basketball, baseball, football, soccer, et cetera esports you're gonna have first person you know games you're gonna have um uh what is it uh rpgs you're gonna have mobas mobile i mean the multiplayer online battle arenas right and you know just racing games and traditional sports you know but video games worth right so like madden just like you were talking about joe montana and so you know looking at all of those it's it really is kind of under those umbrellas and you know we still have to do VOD reviews or video on demand reviews, right? We just like in esports, just like we would in traditional sports, you're going to have your coach that's going to tape some of your practices and replay that tape and say, okay, team, this is where we need to improve. Same thing goes with, with esports. When you, just like you said, when you're running in um, tournaments or when you're running tournaments, 
you're going to have your brackets set up. So just like esports and traditional sports, same thing. You have your brackets, you're going to seed your teams, you're going to go through your rounds, you know, and then you're going to crown a champion. And, and so that all really mimics those traditional sports. The one element that I think is, is, you know, very vastly different um, that you spoke on, but I also think is such a great advantage to our communities as a whole is the fact that, you know, in esports, I'm sorry, let's go back to sports. In sports, you need to be born with those physical abilities and traits in order to really excel and meet that professional level. With esports, it's, you know, it carves out the space for people that are maybe not born to play sports at a, at a high level. And so you're looking at folks with maybe cognitive or physical disabilities that are now able to partake in those same types of emotional responses and feelings and those, you know, that camaraderie, that feeling of of competition and winning, you know, you're looking at folks that, you know, maybe have social anxiety that, you know, have a very difficult time connecting with other people in person events, right during in person events. And so I, I look at this like a great opportunity for our youth and even folks that are, you know, seniors, I, I played uh, a battlefield with somebody who's in his eighties, believe it or not. Right. So he is now no longer able to physically compete, but now he can do so in video games. And so bringing this, you know, competitive, the passion of competition into a space where more people can really enjoy that. To me, that's everything. It's no longer, well, I wasn't born with it, so I can't do it. Now you're giving this opportunity to folks that didn't have that opportunity before. So that's one of the reasons why I love it. But I know you're also um, a teacher. So looking at this from a scholastic point of view, you know, you're, you're seeing that you have clubs on campus. You're seeing that there's, you know, support behind it. What are your thoughts when it comes to education and esports or, or video gaming? That's where I think I'm going to start to dissent a little bit about the benefits of, of esports and just video games in general. Um, I think that with kids today, they they really do suffer from too much screen time um, as a whole. And I know video games, especially for middle school students, which is my my demographic, is a very large part of that. Um, you know, I look at, I've been teaching now for 10 years, last year was my 10th year. And so I have a little bit of time to be able to look at comparisons and stuff. And, uh, you know, just on an anecdotal level, um, I run the mile with my students every Friday uh, during the school year. Last year, I wasn't able to as much because I was dealing with a hip issue because I'm old now. But, uh, you know, last year, I think the fastest mile I ran was somewhere in the mid six minute range. And um, for the period that I ran, there were only two students that beat me between seventh or eighth grade. And generally in a given year, um, my mile time is roughly that, uh, but there will be 20 to 30 students in a class that beat me. And so I, I don't know if one year is is a true um, benchmark of where we're at, but I was I was really discouraged by by the lack of athleticism uh, of some of our students. And that's a trend that I can say I, I have seen continue uh, or grow as I've been a teacher is that there's just, um, I, I'm trying to think of the right word so I don't come off as sounding super pejorative, but um, kids are just less physically fit. They're, they're more unathletic. They're more physically awkward. Um, I, I go out and I see PE because, uh, you know, I do during my off period, go out and mess with the kids in PE a lot. And there's just so few kids that have uh, physical coordination, uh, any athletic ability kid. Like I see seventh and eighth graders who look like they've never thrown a ball before or kicked a ball before. And, and the obesity thing, like th there are very real issues to, the that what we're seeing with kids and in, in video games and so that's where i'm concerned because you know if, if i think about sports and i think about my experience as an athlete i mean i would dedicate hours to my craft whether it was baseball or basketball uh, football when i played football uh, you know hours and in order to be good at anything you have to put in thousands of hours and that's the same for video games so in, if I'm putting a thousand hours into a sedentary activity where I'm sitting down with bad posture and my eyes are overstimulated by blue light 
and you know video games are intentionally overstimulating so you know that then creates risk for ADHD or at least some attention deficit in general just hearing you talk I know there there might be a correlation there may not be but based on what you've seen do you think COVID had a COVID can contribute to this because you have to think your seventh or eighth grader they were what probably like in fifth grade at that time and that's usually a time where students will start developing more of that stuff or playing more fourth grade yeah so do you think that that might have been a correlation as to why they're not as athletic because prior to this year you said a lot of students were like 20 30 kids beating a six miles super (laughs) impressive still regardless of how you put it and they were beating you on this and that was consistent were those students before covid or after covid yeah I, i would just say that in general i've seen a lack of like coordination and stuff and last year i think was where it really just caught my eye because there there really were so few kids um but again, because I'm so competitive, there's this yeah. one student, Esteban, who runs like a 530 mile. And uh, he told me that that this year he was going to give me a two minute head start and beat me. And so I refuse. <laughs> I refuse to let him do that. He's, he's, my, he's my motivation this year to make sure I keep my mile time in check. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure COVID absolutely had something to do with it. Right. I mean, anytime you keep kids locked inside for two years and not doing physical activity, like that's going to have a really detrimental, um, uh, impact on yeah. them too. So that, that's also part of it is we've kept them inside on these esports. So, you know, I, I think not to say that kids shouldn't play video games, but the amount of hours that it would take to become, an expert in Battlefield or League of Legends or, you know, you name the game, to, to what extent are they sacrificing? Because as any successful person knows, um, success always comes with sacrifice. So yep. a successful athlete, a successful student, they might sacrifice friendships or going out to parties or, you know, uh, relationships with friends and other um, in other meaningful ways where, you know, the social butterfly, they might be really great at building relationships and having fun and being the life of the party, but what are they sacrificing? Are they sacrificing their academics or their athletics or their job or whatever? So there always has to be some kind of trade-off. And uh, I think that's where with kids, I'm just a little bit worried as a teacher that, you know, sitting in front of a, a screen for hours at a time, uh, because it's not just that it's they play video games. And then as soon as they get done playing video games, they're right onto their phone and social media. So, you know, th- there's just a lot of inherent risk that I think we haven't really found solutions for yet. Um, and I don't know if we're going to find them in this conversation, but certainly we can make some headway. Well, I, I've got you. <laughs> I can say that, you know, I, I have to say, I, <laughs> Um, I totally understand and, and agree with what Thomas is saying, right? Um, I from from my observations, I have a I have a 12-year-old daughter, and so she's in middle school, um, right there at that age range. And you know, really it, it's I pay very close attention to our youth um because I that's one of my passions. I want to not only create positive workplace environments, um, but I also want to help support our future leaders for their success. And you know, coming through those lenses, you know, looking at the difference between pre-COVID versus, you know, after COVID, um, Chris, I think you bring up a a really great point, you know, is COVID a factor? Yeah, absolutely. COVID is 100% a factor. However, I did also notice just like Thomas, that there was some maybe overuse of video games and screen time, TV. It's not just video games, right? But we're looking, just like he said, TV, social media, on the phone. We are just, this next generation is such a tech heavy generation. And so I started thinking, how can I, cause I had those same concerns, Thomas, right? How can I help create successful future leaders? And that means, you know, not as much screen time. Now, I think it's a lot different than when we were growing up because our parents were very much, oh, the screen's going to rot your brain. So that was a messaging we consistently heard. However, that's really ultimately where students are right now. They're on the screen. So how can we meet students where they are while still encouraging them to get those 
you know, activities in place where everything is in moderation and nothing is leaning heavily in one direction. So what we do is we, as a, as the nonprofit, we partner with organizations like esports health and performance Institute. They are, you know, a certification, um, they, they provide certifications on, you know, how to help with not only the physical um, aspects of esports and gaming, but then also, you know, making sure that you are creating that balance in your life. Um, they have actual PhD or, or physicians that are on call that are contributing to their success that really help to make sure that, you know, students, when they are seated, they're sitting in a very um, ergonomical, you know, fashion to help reduce gaming related injuries is what we're calling it. Right. So just like office workers, there's a lot of carpal tunnel that can pop up. Um, you're also looking at your neck, your shoulders, lower back, all of that. Right. So the esports health and performance Institute, they really do a great job on educating folks on how to help um, esports players or, or, you know, esports athletes, gaming athletes, and, um, you know, making sure they're preventing injuries as well as, um, you know, making sure that you're, you're putting in or building into some of that structure, some of those physical elements, right. And really showing gamers, Hey, did you know, for example, if you intake certain amount of water, if you eat healthy, nutritious meals, if you get enough sleep, which is really important, especially for middle school, high schoolers. Um, and if you're exercising appropriately or the, the right amount, then having that balance in your body and that wellness actually contributes to your in-game success. And so when you market it that way, which is true, right. But when you market it that way to students, all of a sudden you're taking their passion for video games and their love for video games and motivating them to take a healthier route because they want to be the best player that they can be. Right. And not only that, we try to build in um, programming. So when I advise colleges, universities um, on, you know, esports development on their campuses, I always like to try to partner with whatever their health and um, student services departments are to make sure that we're doing things like, you know, group exercise, because then you're still building in that teamwork, you're still building in the camaraderie, and then you're hitting multiple birds with one stone, if you will, so you can limit the sacrifices in the important areas that you're talking about. So that's absolutely one way that we that we help to curb some of that detriment to society um, and help reshape it and form it in a way that's healthier. The other folks, like we we partner with um, uh, Psych Sensei. So Psych Sensei is also looking at the mental health aspects of esports and gaming. And you know, just like um, sports psychologists in the traditional sense, you know, when you're playing games, especially at the professional level or at the competitive level, even with college esports, uh, you're you're looking at sometimes that mental game can really affect your in-game performance. So if you start focusing, you know, baseball players, as you know, are, are infamous, especially pitchers, right? If they get in their heads while they're pitching, all of a sudden, all their pitching just goes to heck. And so um, in-game esports psychologists, if you will, they will really focus on, okay, how's your mental health? How are you staying healthy mentally? So that way, when you are competing and you're dealing with a loss, or maybe you make a mistake, how are you able to push through that? And I think in our generation and what we're seeing, especially after COVID, there's a lot of mental health awareness that needs to happen. And really that re recovery, because we have suffered as a as a world, right, as a, as a species, we've suffered mass trauma. And to be able to work through that, and then again, you know, meeting the the esports athletes where they are, they're already in the game, they're already going to play it, you might as well provide those resources. So that way, they can push through maybe some of that trauma and recover a little bit faster than if they didn't have that. Yeah, no, one of the things too, that I was just thinking about while you were sharing that is, I think sometimes because my esports experience was me in my living room or my my office, you know, playing by myself with people who are in their individual spaces by themselves, uh, it, it was it's different than what it sounds like you're saying. Where on a college campus or or you know, for example, at my middle school, um, where they're in a shared space, and. I think I'm kind of conflating those two things because in my mind, when I'm thinking about esports, I'm thinking about, you know, the toxic 12 year old who's sitting at his home saying words that he would never say in, a, in front of his mother. Um, whereas you're talking about a shared experience where they are working out together and playing together and practicing together. And so I think that has a much more beneficial aspect than 
you know, esports where it's, hey, I'm on this team, but my teammate is in, you know, I'm in Southern California, my teammates in Michigan, and our other teammate is in Mazatlan, Mexico, and we come together at this one moment in time to play, and then that's it. Um, I think, you know, doing it in physically shared spaces adds a lot more because one of the things that I think it does, it allows you to build actual communication skills as well, which, um, you know, doesn't necessarily happen in just traditional gaming. So I think part of what I'm doing is conflating the two because of my experience and not really taking it. So I was, I appreciated, you know, seeing that side or hearing that. No, no worries. Because I was the same way. Like I'm listening to Donna talk because my experience with esports, I was a competitive esports player and kind of like what you're saying, Mazalan or, you know, other parts. So I was part of a team. I was in Southern California. The rest of my team, I think we had one in Brazil. We had one in the UK and several others within the US across the span. And the way we practice and compete is we would all log in at a mutually agreed time. Sometimes it was to meet the needs of the UK person, sometimes it's to meet the needs of us, uh, you know, Americans. And so we would meet, we never used Skype. We At that time, the software we were using was called Ventrilo, which is, you know, voice over internet protocol type of system. Today's day and age, the kids use Discord. Similar thing, we'd log in, we'd talk because Madden wasn't big yet on gaming yet or esports. Everything was still PC-based and that's how we competed and that's how we got better. It's, we did that, but at the same time, we had, this sounds so weird, we had a coach who was a spectator and he would watch the screen as we were playing and he would be saying, hey, Chris, you need to do X, Y, Z. Hey, Thomas, you need to do X, Y, Z. Donna, you need to do X, Y, Z and talk to each other more. And that's how he was coaching us. And so for me, I, this is like, now that I hear what Donna's saying, it's like, it makes more sense that if we can be in a shared space, I find a lot more benefit out of that myself personally versus this remote, because had I been able to say, hey, you know what? Let's all get a coffee. Let's all go, you know, get something just so we can get to know each other better outside. It builds that camaraderie. It builds that team that builds that teamwork. And I find more, for me personally, I find more benefit from that than just virtual. And I think that makes sense why a lot of the esports team, they pay all these players and then they ship them into one house now. And they all live in that house. They get everything taken care of. They have their sports nutritionists. They have their psychologists, everyone taking care of everything for them. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I really try to do is um, administrators will ask me all the time, well, you know, how come we need to build a center on campus? And it's exactly that reason it's there. You know, when you're, when you're looking at team dynamic and team building, right. It's um, and communication. It is most effective when you are in person face to face. The secondary one would be if like what we're doing right now, right? We're on Zoom, we're talking, we're virtual, just because geographically speaking, you know, it, it wouldn't make sense. You're in Southern California, I'm in Northern California. This is just an easier way to do it. So that's kind of more of like the secondary approach. And that's what a lot of gaming and esports is currently, if it's not existing in a physical space on campuses. But you also get, you know, you don't get all of the benefits from being physically connected together. And so you're absolutely right, Chris. You know, I mean, that is that is so important. The other thing I do want to bring up, though, since you both mentioned this, is that, you know, you had this really unique opportunity to play with people globally. So, you know, part of what I like to do as well, I like to connect students with other cultural experiences because it helps to really broaden their horizons and their understanding of life in other countries, other communities, other than their own. So, you know, yes, it's important to have these physical spaces. However, I, I do, um, I, I would like to request that, you know, folks don't completely discount the benefits that can be shared by having these online spaces in global communities as well. I think that's such a cool um, opportunity is, you know, how, how often do you get a chance to meet or, or compete or play with, with people from other locations? Uh, some of my fondest memories as an athlete, you know, are from when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, um, traveling to, you know, uh, Texas or, or, you know, I was really fortunate to, to play across the country even before I, I was played professionally. Um, and some of my, my best friends that I'm still close with came from, you know, the Mickey Mantle World Series in McKinney, Texas, or the Connie Mack World Series in New Mexico. And 
sharing in these these hotels with people and uh some of my fondest memories as an athlete were meeting these people from these other places and sitting in a jacuzzi and just talking about what life is like for them and and for kids who like you said don't maybe have the ability to uh to do that you know yeah those are some of my best moments we're meeting these people from across the the country and and from you know that we would even get kids from puerto rico teams from puerto rico so you know i remember sitting in the pool sitting in the jacuzzi just talking about our life experiences and you know that would have been in 2002 2003 so we made might have had you know aim and some chat rooms that were potentially way more dangerous than i would have realized at the time now kids just have access to that whenever. So I, I do think that it's, um, you know, I think it's really great. And even piggybacking on something that Chris said, uh, I, I love that Chris had an a esports coach. Uh, but one of the things with coaching that I think really separates good coaches from great coaches is the ability to read players and that nonverbal, you know, communication and I wonder if had Chris had a coach with him in person, would have would his experience have even been different because if his coach is, is yelling at him or, you know, getting on him about something, when you're totally remote, you aren't able to see if how that's affecting the the athlete. Whereas as you mentioned, Donna, when you're in a shared space, when they're doing that, if you do have an esports coach in that space, then you're able to you know, really actively engage and see what effect your conversations or your criticism or your feedback are giving the esports athletes. So, um, even by that regard, I think it's really uh, beneficial. And so, yeah, I, I think that doing or, or competing in esports in a shared space adds an entirely new element, something that I hadn't ever considered. So I'm getting all these thoughts popping in as we continue this. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, I, I love having these discussions is because we're able to really start sharing, you know, different perspectives and ideas and, you know, kind of going back just briefly on the global aspects. One of the things that I just absolutely love as well is that, you know, when you're in this global environment and um, you're, you're able to, you know, talk with others, other people, um, whether they're students or not, but talk with other people in all these other countries. And then you start building those connections, building those relationships. Um, you know, for example, I, I recently was invited to go to the first ever Moby's Awards, right? Which are, which are the mobile uh, gaming awards that were put on by the same folks that put on the esports awards and soon to be scholars awards for the scholastic space, which is really exciting. Um, you know, but they're from from the UK. They originate from the UK. So I was able to connect with these folks from the UK. And now I have a lifelong connection, if you will, where if I wanted to go and travel the world, I now know, hey, I've got a contact in the UK. I've got a friendly face there and they can give me tips and tricks on, you know, social etiquette in a different country. Luckily, it's, it's not significantly different from America like some others are, but Right. You're looking at um, I connected with folks from West Africa, you know, and and um, I connected with folks from the Nordic region. And so now I have all these connections of, of people in different pockets of the world. And so now I get to go travel <laughs> and then I could go visit my new friends. Right. And it just opens up these these really amazing experiences that helps reduce maybe some of that travel anxiety or that culture shock, because now you have a point of contact that you can essentially trust to help guide you in the right direction. And you can continue you know playing with these folks online even after your visit or before the visit so i i just i absolutely love the global presence and being able to really you know expand those horizons and those uh thoughts so we're not so closed-minded to other perspectives and other cultures yeah you both brought up two unique topics and the one thing that's standing out to me just thinking about myself growing up and thinking about all the opportunities i had or didn't have growing up Traditional sports has always seemed more cost prohibitive to me than gaming has been. And I think that's why I connected with gaming easier. And I know, I don't know about today's day and age. I don't know the students well enough. I know some of the students I, I used to work with doing traditional sports versus gaming. I don't think they would have been able to afford traditional sports, especially like I think, Thomas, you're very fortunate and blessed, where at least you got from the understanding is you got to play travel ball, and travel ball is expensive. And the commitment involves with parents. And so I, I, for me, when I think of sports, I know semantics, sports and esports is semantics, competitive gaming versus like sports. I, 
I don't know how many students I would have been able to connect with more had it been just all sports and not the esports component or the gaming sport or gaming component. And I don't know what your take is on that. I don't know if, you know, is that something our students can still afford or is it still affordable? I, well, I think that is a, a new, uh, that's an entirely separate subject is the, um, the marketing and the economy of youth sports. And we've pretty much put a dollar figure on kids. And uh, I think that's a byproduct of our, our values of sports and money and, you know, just our value system as humans, we value sports over anything else. Um, you know, <laughs> there's still professional athletes that are getting paid 20 years after they retired millions of dollars and, you know, more than any nurse or, or doctor or teacher will ever make. So I, I think that's a different topic for us. Um, and I think for a lot of parents, they view sports as the golden ticket, right? My kid has uh, a, a modicum of talent. I'm going to pay for the most expensive coaching and they're going to you know, focus on a singular sport their forever, their whole life. And then that's going to be their ticket. And, um, you know, that's just not the case. The data always fleshes out the fact that becoming a professional athlete is so rare and so impossible. So I think that's another thing that esports does is it does allow for access into, um, making money through sports or through your passion. Because when we talk about esports, really the, the purses are not astronomically large for winning. I think where a lot of esports athletes on the higher end are making their money is through content generation and tutorial videos and behind the scenes stuff and YouTube marketing. And, you know, that's an entirely different thing that kids have access to now that, you know, we didn't have when we were playing slaps only on GoldenEye or when we were playing 1v1 Madden tournaments that just didn't exist. So I do think that there's an avenue there. The one thing I'll say though, about accessibility, if we're, you know, maybe not taking the competitive sports aspect away, sports will always have a place in low income communities because sports like basketball, sports like soccer are theoretically free. If you have two people in a basketball, you can play basketball. Um, the PS4 is or PS5 now is, $600, a uh, high-end gaming laptop that you would need to be truly competitive is going to be four or $5,000. So, you know, there's some cost barriers that I think become maybe hidden in online gaming because games are relatively cheap. Um, whereas, you know, I could go to a park with a soccer ball and four friends and play 2v2. So I, I think when you're talking about league structures and stuff, yeah, well, man, sports and especially youth sports have become monetized in a way that I think are actually super unhealthy. Um, I know, Chris, you're a huge fan of the Galaxy. That was one of the things that... Right, that, right. That was one of the things that Zlatan said when he came over here um, is that it cost him, you know, $2,000 a month for his kids to play in a good competitive club atmosphere. And in Europe, all of that is free and subsidized by the professional sports team. So... Um, you know, yeah, in that aspect, playing competitively esports, I think has a leg up because it's a really a one-time fee to break that barrier of entry. Um, but just from a, you know, if I'm going to go out to a park and play with my friends, that's a lot cheaper than, you know, buying a lot of this. So I think that depending on where you're looking at the prohibitive barrier for, for cost it moves depending on if it's competitive or recreational. But I also think uh, what you're saying is it sounds so easy to go to a park when in reality, if you look at Los Angeles County, we don't have as many parks as we should for the population we have. A lot of it's become either industrialized or they're converting it mm -hmm. to homes. So we're losing a lot of this where it's not as accessible as it used to be. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I digress. So the other thing I was thinking as, as you were talking is when you think of esports. And this is a question that Donna might be able to better answer. But for you, Thomas, when you think of esports, what different career opportunities do you know evolve from it? 
can can I actually jump in? I, I want to respond real quick to you know, some of the the comments that we were just talking about. Um, yeah. One of the things that I I you know observed when it comes to esports is that this is one. Of, I'm sorry. Let me back it up. One of the things that, you know, I really try to promote in this space, especially with educators and um, community leaders or government officials, elected officials, stuff like that, um, you know, is creating those spaces so that way we can help bridge that digital divide, right? Because there are communities 100%, right, that, you know, cannot afford the newest PlayStation, cannot afford gaming PCs, cannot afford laptops that they can play. And, you know, that is a crucial component. So yeah, Thomas, you're 100% correct in that. And that's why I fully believe that it is up to our community leaders to really help provide that um, that technology for uh, students to be able to use or utilize if they come from impoverished areas, right? So that's another reason why it's so incredibly important to have these gaming spaces on campus. But if you really look further into it, we're not talking about just supporting esports. We're talking about the digital divide as a whole. We already know in education, it is a challenge right now because not all students have access to high-speed internet to complete their homework online. Not all students have computers to utilize to complete the schoolwork that they need to, let alone learn the basics of Microsoft Office Suite or, you know, emails or, you know, I mean, we're looking at real basic stuff that we need and that our children need in order to actually be in a competitive place in the workforce just as a whole, because our workforces are heavily dependent on technology. And it is up to the schools and the communities to be able to provide access to that technology so students can gain those experiences that they need in order to be successful in their future careers. So just wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit. Um, and then I, I really like the question, um, Chris, about you know what career paths are available because Thomas was you know was was just head on when it came to a couple other things like you know oh yeah um, students can now or professional athletes can now um, make a living through content creation right but there's so many other business opportunities so when you have these students involved with esports and gaming on their campus they're not just playing video games they're also looking at developing their skills in media public relationships you can do photography journalism social media management <laughs> graphic design i mean you're looking at education um, by being a teacher an instructor to really help uh to to show students how to utilize or wield the power of esports in their careers you're looking at event management you know um you know who's insurance even insurance right you're looking at facilities management construction set design information technology you know all of that business health wellness competition the entertainment industry right i mean it's just so expansive but i'm i'm curious to see thomas just like chris was starting to ask you know what is your perspective on the different career paths that students might have i mean i think like anything anytime you have an emerging market we don't fully even know yet what some of those new avenues will look like but thinking about it from a traditional sense, um, of course, there's going to be things like journalism and, you know, writing recaps or following along, doing interest pieces, exposés on players, things of that nature. Um, I, I can speak from when I was playing in Liga G, <clears throat> uh, there were quite a few of us who were our content creators for our team. So we would come out with just like the professional soccer teams or, or whatever, when starting 11s are announced, we would create a, a lineup graphics and we learned how to become very proficient with Photoshop. And we would make uh, a, a videos, online videos, uh, online videos. We would, we would use uh, video editing software. Um, and I learned how to use Final Cut Pro to help, you know, make these stupid videos for my 11 v 11 esports team and there were some people who really learned good production value and graphic design and coding and uh people who who have actual twitch channels now with pretty substantial followers so again in that content space uh i, I think in it just like any traditional market there's all of the ancillary things that go into making these events good uh and then you know now we get into social media marketing and and digital advertising and 
you know, uh, uh, manipulating algorithms and all of that. So, you know, I think just, yeah, I, there is an endless opportunity, I think, of the avant-garde jobs market. It really just depends on, you know, what people are interested in. Um, I, I think for those people who are engaging and fun, there's going to be a space for content creation and connection with audiences. Um, and then for other people who are, you know, like you said, good teachers, good communicators, th there's going to be a market for tutorials for young kids to go on YouTube. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'll say this shamelessly, but I've spent enough time online watching YouTube tutorials on video games that, you know, I don't like being bad either. So I've helped prop up some of these people. Um, so again, I think that there's a space for any of it. Absolutely. You know, and, and um, recently uh, this is, this is kind of a newer development, but you know, the traditional uh, sports illustrated, right? Well, now there is an actual esports illustrated that is doing just like what you're talking about. They're spreading awareness through journalism and reporting and celebrating some of these, um, you know, esports athletes. Right. And so uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, but you're, you're also talking about these key components and, and skills that again, you know, a lot of people really need one as an entrepreneur. So if you want to start or launch your own business, you need to have some of these, these skills in order to start up your own business because the funds are usually limited, right? Usually as an, as a, as a startup organization or as a budding entrepreneur, you don't have the ability to hire a graphic artist or hire a video editor. You know, oftentimes you have to do all that stuff yourself in order to create those social media marketing elements. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's one of those things where, where I love hearing that even from you just kind of diving in from a hobby base, if you will, um, or for a short period of time, you learned all these skills that maybe you otherwise would not have learned. One of the areas that I, that I like to, um, talk about as well is recently I, I taught a summer high school institute through the University of Pacific, which is California's oldest university or one of the first universities that were in existence, um, you know, super, you know, higher end when it comes to a lot of the products that they uh, provide and, and support that they provide when it comes to education, the curriculum, et cetera. But one of the uh, course schedules that I ended up creating specifically to kind of help expose these students to the vast differences and spaces within the esports and video game industry is we we looked at it was a it was a 10-day program and each day we had a different topic so you know day one we went over um for example esports 101 which is an introduction to esports the history of the current career opportunities so that way students understood how vast and wide this landscape is and that they weren't just going into this thinking oh you have to be a game designer or a professional player only right? And just really introducing them to the whole market. We looked at things like effective communication and teamwork, time management, roles when it comes to team roles, entrepreneurship and content creation, just like you were talking about. We even looked at things like tournament organization. We dove into some elements of game development and design, business proposals and pitching. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, this is a great way to learn how to do that. Project management. And then at the very end, we ended up, um, and I and I borrowed this idea from Danny Martin over at Exposure, um, a phenomenal leader, by the way, for the youth, high school um, and, and the K through 12 space, as well as some collegiate. But, you know, he came up with this idea for a business pitch competition. So we culminated this experience and we're able to have the high schoolers. So I borrowed that. We were able to have the high schoolers come up with their own brands um, and then pitch in a pitch competition style, kind of like Shark Tank to parents and some of our administrators who judged, and then they were awarded prizes at the end. So now we're also looking at presentation skills. So, I mean, it's just like you said, a whole plethora of areas that we can kind of touch on that really expand real world working knowledge and in, in this space. I mean, all of that sounds fantastic, especially as an English teacher, hearing that you're getting kids to write and think critically and you know, make arguments that all tickles me. So I'm, I'm here for that. So for schools like mine, where maybe we're lacking resources, what programs are there to, or, or initiatives to get esports started in, in schools? 
Absolutely. So um, I can certainly help with that. I mean, that's something I love to do. So let's let's connect maybe off of this podcast and then um, we can talk about what your needs are specifically to to your campuses and your district. And um, and then we can figure out a way together. But there are so many different resources. And that's why I formed this nonprofit organization is to bring everybody together to really support our students in their career development. Right. And so, um, like I said, and, and I'm sure we can link this on the podcast, but the esports health and performance Institute. Uh, we're looking at Psych Sensei. Um, and then also Game Plan is another one. It's not free, but it's a learning management system. And they uh, provide um, these different modules, if you will, that help with things like, well, what kind of training, physical training and performance can you really utilize? How much sleep should you get? How much water, food, et cetera, right? Um, so there's so many different resources out there, along with, um, I love to collaborate and partner with other, uh, usually non profit organizations, but also some for-profit organizations that really support underrepresented groups. So like, for example, the Game Hers, they are one of our partners. They're really focused on providing inclusive spaces and support for uh, female and female identifying um, gamers. There are uh, not the nonprofit Able Gamers is a is a great um, organization I love to uh, promote as well. Uh, they are really focused on gamers with cognitive and physical disabilities and helping them to still be able to game. Even let's say, for example, if you have somebody that's a veteran returning from war and they've lost, unfortunately, arms or limbs in battle, um, you know, how can they still game and do what they love and find community? Well, Able Gamers helps to fund, um, you know, different modifications to gaming equipment that allow them to still participate in games. Uh, there's other organizations, I can list off so many of them, so I'm not gonna do that now, but those are those are some of my top ones um, that I always like to refer. And, um, you know, we also have uh, Gen G is a professional esports organization. They are bringing after-school curriculum when it comes to career development to the K through 12 space. Uh, we've partnered with Elk Grove Unified School District on that effort, and we're expanding our efforts here throughout the Sacramento region, but also the LA and, and throughout California and eventually globally. So, you know, those are just some of the resources that I can recommend here through this podcast. But again, you know, Thomas, absolutely happy to talk with you off the, the call um, on your specific needs for your individual campus. Perfect. Yeah. And, and then uh, I had a follow-up question to that. Yeah. So there's all these programs out there that can help schools and stuff um, as a parent. Just uh, what are two or three things as a parent that I can do as my, my I have a young daughter myself, as she starts to get older, how can I, um, without maybe necessarily going into the weeds of, of all of the different um, sites and, and stuff, how do I uh, encourage her or, or what are some healthy gaming habits or systems I can set up to allow my, my daughter to share my love for video games without maybe you know, falling into some of the problems of, you know, gaming addiction or the, the overstimulation or, you know, throwing remote controls at TVs. <laughs> um, you know, what are some things that a parent can do that can help support their child in, in this? So there's, there's so many different resources out there. One I'd like to point you towards is an organization called COPE, which is the Coalition of Parents in Esports. And, you know, they really support not only parents, but they also support, um, you know, younger gamers in being able to have conversations with their parents on, um, you know, why video games can actually be a positive in everybody's lives, right? So that's one resource I like to, uh, to promote as well. Um, but when it comes for, you know, to parent to child um, communication, it, it I feel like it really follows along very similar paths with anything else that, you know, any other challenges that we as parents face in this wide ocean of just the unknown, right? Because it's like, when they say there's no parenting for handbook, they're really serious about that. Like there really is no parenting for handbook for parents, right? Like <laughs> it just doesn't exist. So what, what I recommend is um, we all know that like, for example, there's a lot of toxicity online through social media. So sitting down and having those conversations ahead of time before really introducing, or if you've already introduced, there's no, it's never too late to have those conversations. Hey, you know what? Let's sit down and talk about this. Let's put some boundaries and parameters 
parameters around, you know, what games you can play based on the, the ESRB rating, which is basically like a movie rating, but for video games, right? Are you playing a rated R game, you know, basically when you're, or an M for mature game when you're, you know, 12 years old, probably not the best game for you to be playing. So having, you know, as the parent, having those conversations and putting that the, the parameters around what is acceptable gaming and what is not acceptable gaming is going to go so far for you. Um, same thing with, you know, you're, you're talking about throwing the controller. Trust me, I get it. I have absolutely been furious at some games and have been tilted, um, what, especially when I'm doing poorly. So, you know, before your child hops in the game, explain this is the appropriate conduct and this is the appropriate behavior and this is not. And if you engage in this appropriate, inappropriate behavior, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to pull you off of the game, regardless if you're in the middle of the session or not, and we're going to take a timeout. And then that way it's it's, it's again, you know, they want to play the video game. They are willing to go the extra mile to make sure that they play their game. It's just like when we were younger, when we were kids and video games didn't exist. Hey, I want to go hang out with my friend, you know, as a, let's say you're a teenager, right? I want to go hang out with my friend. Mom's going to tell me, or dad's going to tell me, well, you know, I know you want to, however, you didn't finish your chores. Therefore, I'm not going to take you to go hang out with your friend. Same exact thing. It's just translated more into the online digital environment. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Jotting down notes while you were. Yeah, and I and I I love it. You know, and and again, you know, there is no one right way or wrong way. It really just all depends on your child and your parenting techniques and and your own boundaries. That's I you know I love that we're having this boundaries movement. I see it all over the place now. Everybody's talking about boundaries. I love it because it really is what makes relationships between individuals and groups successful. So one final thought just or one question for both of you guys. Thomas for you based on the discussion we had today what are your thoughts about esports and the direction or how do you want to see it move towards the future and Donna if you want to I know you shared your perspective in the past if you want to reshare where you want to see the esports movement going yeah I think for me as a, a parent and a teacher I just want to make sure that like all digital spaces we continue to move in a responsible way um, I, I do always hesitate about what we lose by um, foregoing shared spaces. Um, I think, you know, Donna's explanation of the collegiate esports experience, that sounds like such a great uh, direction for us to go because it brings people into shared spaces. Uh, I'm always leery about the way people use community and that word community, uh, because when you're in, for me personally, you know, the community is a physical shared space. So online communities, it's kind of a misnomer. So I'm always hesitant about that. And I'm worried about the direction of social isolation that we're heading as a society. So for me, that's really my big concern is how do we embed esports into a social framework that keeps people connected without that physical social social isolation um but you know i'm much more inspired and hopeful about the direction of esports after this conversation um you know it's been such a great conversation with donna especially hearing about some of the you know avant-garde front of the line um especially the mental health stuff that's going on you know i, I think that all of that stuff sounds good. And, uh, you know, I look forward to potentially bringing esports in a more serious way to my, my own school community. I, I love hearing that. I'm, I'm so glad. Um, I'll have to link you to my, uh, my thesis. Actually, I did a thesis for my MBA. It was on the impacts of esports and gaming on social isolation. Hugely positive results, by the way. So I'll link that to you so you can take a look at it. Hopefully that will help kind of squash some of your concerns um, because spoiler alert, right? There, uh, e it, There's actually a positive impact um, when playing esports and video games on social isolation. So I'll send that over to you. Um, but Chris, to, to answer your question, you know, I love this space. As you can probably tell, I'm really passionate. Um, I see a lot of good in it. And, you know, I really take the perspective of if there's something wrong, we need to talk about it so we can find the best solution to change directions. Right. So 
Um, I think these conversations, uh, like I said at the beginning of our conversation here today, these these talks are really important because we can start to see where the holes are or where the gaps are, and then we can start to think together on ways that we can fill those gaps and actually make this a positive experience for everybody, right? So I just absolutely love um, that we've had this conversation today. So thank you so much, Thomas. Uh, what I would love to see with esports going forward is really more connection globally and you know as in serving as a way to promote um, positive environments and you know again that's one of my passions i said at the beginning it's positive workplace environments but really i just love being around people who are just friendly and open minded and positive and i want that for the for the world and so i see esports and video games as a tool in order to help us achieve that partially because this next generation of leaders, they are so passionate about esports that they're willing to go above and beyond what they typically would in order to play their video games. And that is a great thing that we can utilize to steer them in the right direction of, you know, how do we navigate those social environments right? That are, that are online, those social online environments. Um, we didn't, uh, we were growing up and we didn't have that direction when we were younger, but now we have the capabilities and the power um, to be able to now explain, Hey, this is what's appropriate when you're engaging online versus not appropriate, regardless if it's video games or social media or whatever, right? This kind of behavior is appropriate and not appropriate when it comes to physical and emotional and, you know, relational boundaries and, you know, really lining those up. So I feel like esports gives us this opportunity to enact positive change in our societies, in our world. And that's where I really want to see the direction headed is utilizing this as a means to a better place to be. Very cool. I appreciate you both coming on. I look forward to working with you again in the future, Donna, and look forward to working with you again in the future, Thomas. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you so much. This was such a great, a great time. I, I very much enjoyed the experience. Thank you. ITO coordinators, thank you for listening to this episode of Tech Lasso. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast. Also, follow us on social media. The links are in the show notes. Thank you again, and let us know how we are doing. Go to bit.ly slash techlasso.